welcome to another episode of Consultants Saying Things. I'm Chris Lockhart. Uh, today's episode is about empathy in IT, empathy in technology. And uh, Phil Yanoff, Bill Bensing, and I are joined by an old friend and colleague of mine, Larry Joya. Uh, Larry is uh, a technical humanist. He does many things and uh, works uh, in consulting and has for a long time. Uh, the, the genesis of the conversation was really around, you know, how can we be better um, at our jobs of being uh, either business or technology consultants uh, by leveraging emotional intelligence and um, things such as always be connecting the dots and really trying to uh, connect with our clients in an empathetic way. Uh, so I uh, hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, again, this is Consultants Saying Things, and uh, here we go. Um, so, Larry, I, you know, I was, what, can you, instead of me telling people about <laughs> always be connecting the dots, right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to up my empathy here. And, you know, could you, could you explain to us a little bit about, you know, what it is and, and what you've been doing? Because um, you've given some speeches and um, some, discuss, not speeches, discussions and, and chats mm -hmm. and whatnot about it. But I'd like to get a little bit more of, of what it is, aside from, yeah. Richard Branson, which is about the only thing I know about always be connecting the dots. So, yeah, well, so yeah, sure. So it's interesting. Uh, so it's not a, what is it? It, it being a, it's, it's four letters. It's an, a very simple acronym. Uh, a, B, C, D, always be connecting the dots. I'm to learn after the fact that Richard Branson uh, had a very similar mantra uh, some time ago. I did not get it from Richard Branson, um, but it's great to know that we think alike, I suppose. Uh, what is it? It's just a mindset, right? Uh, in as much as you can apply this very simple principle uh, that everything is connected. Uh, that could be in our personal life, that could be in our professional life, that can be in the businesses that we work in. Um, and as connectors, as I get to know all of you on, on the line here and your listeners, we're all connectors in some form or fashion. Uh, and when we think about and apply this mindset of ABCD, magic really begins to happen and continue to refine and, and have conversations like this about how other people are connecting dots. And it's a lot of fun to talk about. And quite frankly, it's opened up a lot of doors for you personally and professionally. And so how does that, how does that relate to, um, you know, this idea of empathy in technology, right? Cause I mean, you know, there's, there's work that we do in this space where there are people at the end of, you know, whatever it is we're implementing, that have needs, that have wants, right? And oftentimes, you know, there's not a lot of maybe thought that goes into how people are going to use technology or or the, the components that we're putting in place. And so when I, when I think about, you know, some of the work that you've done, um, you know, in, in your private life with uh, the kayak company and, and some of these other things, right? And and I think about you as a as a as a thought leader right in this in this abc space abcd space right i'm i'm connecting these things in my head because to me they, they're related right but i think if i as i think about abcd as it applies to technology right and i think about as i get to know all of you on the phone here come from an enterprise architecture background or architecture uh, in general look everything in the enterprise is connected in some form or fashion if it starts with culture, it starts with process, all the way through the technologies we use to actually make these things. I think if I understood you correctly, Chris, your questions around empathy, at the end of the day, you know, I like to talk about technology, and I think you would all agree with this, I'd love your thoughts on this, is technology is just going to enable what we do every day, it makes our businesses faster, makes our processes faster. 
how do we truly connect with people uh, and the heart beating in their chest? And, you know, we could talk about design thinking. I know you guys had a great discussion about design thinking a couple of weeks ago. Um, to me, it's about getting at what do, what, what do we as humans actually want? How do we uh, as humans actually get the, the end result out of this technology? And look, we can go back and talk about, you know, designing for end user needs and user-centered design and UX. Uh, at the end of the day, it's getting into the hearts and minds of people and designing technology, designing experiences around what they actually need, not necessarily what we want, right? I'd love to know what you guys think about that. Let me ask, let me, let me ask you this. Are people naturally empathetic? And are we in a spot, like when you think about technology, I mean, technology is visceral right now because it's becoming a lot more tangible. Um, than it was before. It, are we empathetic to be, by nature, or is, some, is empathy something we actually have to teach ourselves, like writing? Um, yeah, you know, it, it's an awesome question, and I think it can be different schools of thought. I'm of the school of thought that I think uh, everyone uh, has empathy. The degree to which uh, one actually emotes that or shows that, I think everyone has their own personal way of doing that. Uh, so, answer your question. I think everyone is born with with empathy. Uh, how the degree to which we actually go and show that, uh, the degree to which we practice that, either in our daily lives or through our work or with our clients or with our friends. Um, I truly believe, and someone asked me yesterday, uh, they said, how much does trust play into uh, your relationships? And I said, it's everything, right? Um, you know, it's, it's everything. I believe everyone is good uh, until proven otherwise. <laughs> Uh, and I think that when you go into relationships, you go into either whatever you're designing or your the relationships you're building um, with the notion that everything is good, everyone is good uh, until proven otherwise, I think you'll you'll find a lot more good in the world uh, before you come out with unconscious bias at the beginning. Just a thought. I'd love to know what you think, Phil. Hey, Larry, I, I was going to ask you, when you're, um, what brought you to this, right? I mean, and I, the reason I, I, I express a little bit of surprise, right? I mean, we're talking about people inside this enterprise architecture space, right? It's software developers and engineers and so forth. And I mean, and these are people who are typically stuff people, not people people. And it's not always the case. I don't want to make it just a bad generalization. But I'm thinking that for you, there was something or some event for you that brought this forward. You said, you know what? I think this is important. This is why I'm going to carry this forward. I'm kind of curious for you, what was the event? Yeah, honestly, it's a good question. And you would think there was some aha moment uh, in my professional life uh, as an architect um, that was like, yeah, there's there's something here that I'm going to go deeper on. Honestly, that there actually, there really wasn't a, a, an event, uh, something that really spurred this more so than, what I've seen over my years uh, as, as an architect, as a strategist, as someone who helps, and like many of you, helps organizations build, design, and, and, and transform organizations, at the core of all of that, and I think you would all agree with this, is like the four of us sitting here together having a conversation and a dialogue. Um, what I found, I guess I would say, over all that, Phil, is I see a lot of approaches that are like the technology, the technology, we're going to build something um, with that doesn't take the user uh, upfront, that doesn't listen to the stories, that doesn't dig into and do more listening, right? And so what I'm saying to you is over my 15 years of consulting and then as an entrepreneur, I saw way too many approaches to transformation, way too many approaches that were technology led uh, and not truly getting into listening uh, and doing more of this conversation, right? And so I guess what I would say is, um, it's not so much that I was tired of that, but I think there's a better way to do it. Uh, which is to be human, which is to have dialogues like this where we can have great conversations, challenge each other's thinking, 
Uh, and I think that's where innovation happens. Innovation happens when we listen to each other uh, and hear each other's perspectives. Uh, so uh, long-winded answer on that, Phil. Honestly, for me, it's been a, it's been kind of the continuation. I see a lot of technology leading. Uh, I think we should lead with our hearts and lead with, uh, with listening. And that's really what's worked for me. And I think it's worked for the organizations I've worked with. So when you carry this to an audience, you know, I've seen where you stand on the stage and you're kind of carrying this message to a group. You know, how does the group respond to it? I mean, did, was this something they didn't see coming? Um, was it an aha moment or like, oh, man, I don't have time for that. I'm still coding. Yeah. So, you know, I, I always walk into these and it's, I walk into these conversations and they're truly dialogues. First of all, I get invited to have this conversation with people. Um, one, because I, I'll come back to what I said. I think everyone is empathic. I think everyone uh, truly wants to, to do well and wants to you know, get, show themselves, right? And how they show up at work. You know, what I'll say is, is it's, I'm often surprised uh, and, and, and that the people that I talk with, they'll come up to me afterwards, look up to me afterwards and send me a, a DM or an IM or something afterwards and say, I needed to hear that. Uh, I was looking for that. And so I think it lands with people. Um, I, what I've come to learn is, is that we don't talk about this enough in the workplace. Um, you know, <laughs> we don't talk about purpose enough. We don't talk about what I would the perception of the softer side of business um, often enough. And I think it's a refreshing, uh, people have told me, it's very refreshing to hear this. Someone who's been uh, in the enterprise, who's worked for Fortune 1000 companies, um, who is an entrepreneur talking about the softer side of business. And it's not to say that you're soft, it's to talk about what really matters, which is coming to work with a purpose, um, adding value to the people around you, your clients, uh, and living life, right? And truly connecting. Uh, so long way for that one, Phil. It's it's refreshing. People are, I don't think they're surprised. They're like, yeah, we need to hear that. We don't have that conversation enough in our companies. Uh, and it's 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 a lot of fun for me to have that dialogue. So Larry, um, you know, normally we have uh, a, a fourth uh, guest or, you know, person on this podcast with us, uh, Shashi Shramali, who I think you, yeah. you recall. Um, I He's not here today. He's he's hard at work being a consultant. So he's not <laughs> saying things today. He's actually. Um, but What's that I, make I, the rest I, of us, I guess? <laughs> that's right. Yes, exactly. Um, so I, I have a writing question now, right? And it, it seems to be along this line. And I don't know exactly what, how he was thinking about it. But, um, you know, there's we've talked about sort of, you know, as as, as Bill Bensing mentioned, right? You know, there, there's the technology piece and, and, you know, Phil's talking about the people piece. There's there's the other leg of the chair here, right? There's the process piece, and and I guess the question would be something around you know what what role does process play? Because you process, you, you start to think like automation and you know workflows and things happening without human intervention, and we're talking about empathy, which is all about human intervention. So how do how do you how do you get there with you know some clients, for example, when they're when they're talking about we need to automate this, we need to make this faster, we need to take hands out of the out of the equation, the manual nature of it, and and yet and yet, well, we want it to be empathetic. Well, it's not. It's now robotic, right? So how do yeah. how do we bridge that divide? Yeah, so it, it's an awesome question, and it's something that I, I can say I've given some thought to, but I continue to evolve my thinking uh, about you know automation uh, because exactly what you're talking about here. So if we're going to introduce you know uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning and all the things to essentially take away jobs. I think many people, the immediate reaction is, to your point, where's where's the human connection in, in that? And I think what I continue to shape my own thinking around and share with people is 
don't think about it as though you're going to be losing your job. Think about it as the time that you now have freed up to actually go and be more human uh, and actually spend time like with the four of you. Uh, so, okay, so maybe there's a, 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 a cron job running somewhere or there's a bath job happening while I'm here on the phone with all of you. Uh, I actually freed up an hour of my time to have a very human conversation like this one. So that's the first thing. Well, wait, wait, I'm sorry, pause right there, Larry. Did you just say cron job? Cron job, you like that? Yeah, write that one down. Yeah, that's good stuff. Is, is that is that JCL or TCL? Do you think that that cron job is? Written? Yeah, uh, let's go over the second one. Okay, yeah, okay. sorry. <laughs> so uh, the first thing there is, I think if we shift the thinking to be, well, how can I use the time that automation would otherwise take away a job for me? Use that opportunity to be more human and spend more time with the people around you. The second thing, as I think about you know automation and process, quite frankly, I think there's great opportunity for people to really open their aperture and think bigger about what the future of work is, specifically their jobs, right? Um, I have this I have this sneaking suspicion that many people are going to be in a uh, a very unique situation if all they think about is the job they do today. And so I, I talk a lot about you know expanding and and thinking about the things you like to do outside of work because those things are option creating investments that very well may become the next thing you do. Because I, I don't know about your companies, um, but I've seen this in the enterprise too. It's like, well, you know what? Uh, we only need you to work 24 hours this week. So what do you do with the remainder of your time? However you do that, we don't really care. We're gonna pay for 24 hours. Uh, so for example, uh, so how do you spend the rest of your time? I think people are gonna be in a very unique place if they're not thinking about the things they want to do the process they create, the process that uh, that they carry out every day, um, I think it's going to be a very unique place, a very very unique place uh, to work uh, in the next few years because of the things like automation. I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is that automation actually uh, enables us to be more empathetic and more human because it frees up, you know, what would normally be screen time, maybe for FaceTime, right? So there you go. I think it's well said. No, no, no. Yeah, I, I don't use I don't use my extra time to be more human. I'm using it on Fortnite right now, so I, I'm not sure if that works out or not. But <laughs> Phil's killing it in Fortnite, so that, that's, that's no, no. I'm not killing it. I'm just trying to get better. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's funny you, you talk about this. Is you hit on something, and I'm going to put a warning out there. I may go down a rat hole, so somebody pull me out by the tail if I do. But it's happened before, so we're we're, we're <laughs> We're well <laughs> okay, so it's the you were talking about empathy, and I'm thinking of this term, the economics of empathy, and sort of the economy in general, because people will make that that assessment where we're automating people out of jobs, so we don't have an economy. But really, from an economist perspective, we're expanding the capacity to do work. And so, as you're talking about this, what you're saying is, as we go through, we've expanded our capacity. Now, what is our mechanism to, if you know, all of a sudden, what took me 40 hours is now taking me 24 hours? What's the mechanism to get me that other whatever? What's the math there? 20-something, oh, 16 hours, there we go. 16, yep. 16. So where is it, what, what, what's the capacity of that, those 16 hours to reinvest back into something? And it's almost to what you're talking about when you talk about the um, uh, empathy and um, going back to it, it's like, what are you gonna do for yourself or what are you doing, how is, is it? Because the question I have, as I ask myself, is like, what are you doing for society? So now that you have 16 more free hours, what are you doing to invest back into society or the company? Or as some people look at it, what is society doing to give me Giving giving me something to do for those sixteen hours, and it's, I mean, it's that it could be that could be a hairy hairy way you approach that, but 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 Bill, yeah. you're, I mean, Bill, you're you're working a startup, right, or several startups as well mm -hmm. as some other jobs. So I mean, how 
where do you find yourself having free time because it seems like you would you're probably like subsisting on like uh, three hour energy or whatever it is right five hour energy <laughs> right um I, I i don't see free time like to do empathetic things with with the stuff that you're working on no and that's it's a funny point you make because it's there's so much stuff out there to go after that there is no such thing as free time because I think technology today has given us the ability to actually be more empathetic and be more sympathetic and empathetic um, that there is a, I mean, it's, it's, it's cliche to say unlimited possibilities, but anybody with a computer can go out and create the next, whatever it is, next piece of software to add a piece of value. They don't have to be the most you know, advanced person to do that. And so, yeah, to answer your points, like, no, there's no free timers, you know, but it's part of living an empathetic life. And as you're, as you're talking, Larry, I'm just like sitting here thinking and connecting my own thoughts and how I operate. It's, I think if you have empathy and if you're empathy driven, as it's a mission driven. So if your mission is to provide, is to have empathy and provide value, then you fundamentally get a lot of possibilities. So I don't know if I directly answered yeah. your question, Chris, and stop right now before I go any further down. <laughs> It's. I mean, I, you got me thinking. You're like, it's, it's such a soft and such. I don't want to say an ambiguous topic, but it can go so far because it is by nature um, non-objective. It's extremely subjective. Yeah, you know. Let me, let me tag onto that if I could. You know, I think that there's a you know, one person's perspective is let's go off the 16-hour thing. So, so do you use that time to go and do empathetic things? Right. I would go so far as suggest why can't we just infuse empathy into everything that we do? Why does it have to be a thing or why do I have to devote time to doing just that? And maybe, hey, you know, again, it comes back to the beginning is that everybody's going to approach work, approach life, approach the integration of the two much differently. Um, I would suggest that if you infuse, uh, you know, this, this notion of feeling, the feeling of uh, notion of caring into everything that you do, uh, it just becomes option. Everything you do is option creating at that point. Uh, and I, I, your answer is, I mean, your, your perspective is a good one, Bill. It's like, how do I use that time? I'm of the opinion that I integrate work and I integrate life. So they kind of feel the same, but my purpose, and you actually nailed it. My purpose, uh, as I've stated it before, is to add value to everyone that I meet. And that could be through work. That could be through conversations like this one. Uh, uh, that's just one perspective. So for me, my bucket's always full, but I'm always weaving the things together because I don't feel like I ever have any free time, but the time is well spent and I enjoy doing it. Maybe it's, maybe it's why I'm, I'm so happy <laughs> all the time. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> so almost what I hear you saying, and maybe where there's evidence to provide based upon, I look at sort of the, the quote unquote startup scene out there. If you if you use empathy as a metric for your mission, you will fundamentally never be out of a job. If you think about it that way. I love no, it. That's, that's a very succinct way to say it. I like it. I don't, I don't buy that for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I don't buy that for a minute. The world will eat your orange and hand you back the peel. There's more to it than empathy. But I get the idea that if I'm not empathic, right, if I'm not figuring out what that other cat is thinking, if I'm not part of that world and he's part of my world, that we just can have this real easy disconnect. But we got motivation. I mean, we got, we're all headed in different directions. The idea is, is there some opportunity for us to kind of come together on something? That part I get. But I mean, I think to your point, Bill, if I'm empathic, there will always be something for me to do. But I don't think I've got that problem right now. Okay, I love where you're going with that because it reminds me of, I'll just call it a traditional non-for-profit problem, right? So if you took it that, if you look at that tradition, like I'm empathetic towards something, so I'm going to go try to help. But if I, oh, I just lost my train of thought, but it's, as you were going, you need more than just, you need more resources than just empathy. 
at the end of the day. You need more than just a caring thought. You need something to carry you forward, grit, and then other types of hard resources. Is that sort of where you're going on that one, or did that just bastardize exactly your point? No, I mean, I, I think there's a, a piece. I get the idea, and I'm not, I like the overall premise here, and that is that we have to figure out who we're working for and how we're working with them, right? We have to be able to look inside that other person. I think the answer is compassion, but you know, maybe, maybe it is empathy, but the thing is there's, it's not the only piece of this, right? I mean, I think there's more to that. We have to figure out where our goals, where we're headed with this thing. Um, I mean, I don't think I wanted to get into that deep philosophical thought. I think there's some more to that, but I love the idea of, I think it's really easy in what we are doing to not make real connection. Now, here's the thing I wanted to get to with Larry, which is, you know, Bill makes the claim, and I'm not sure that you weren't weird to that too, that technology gives us more capacity for empathy. And I think that that's probably true. It allows us to connect with more people. You know, here I am five or 350 air miles from where you are at the moment, or there's an opportunity for us to make a connection, which is great, right? Uh, but I also see in lots of technology, people that are really that gives them the opportunity to be an ideologue in a way that they would never be if they were talking to somebody face to face. So, you know, I see technology enabling some bad behavior as well. Um, I guess I'm not looking for you to agree or disagree with me. I, I think more along the lines of how do we avoid the trap of that and actually get to some positive outcome, right? I mean, we're all you know, here on the human race, right? We're all part of the same team at some level. How do we avoid this trap of, uh, of having this work against us, using technology to pull out our baser nature as opposed to our group uh, collaborative nature? Yeah, uh, you broke up a little bit, but I, I, what I heard you say is, if I heard you correctly, Phil, is, is how do we not let technology uh, get in the way uh, or get in the way or hinder uh, the importance of human connection? And I think one of the things that uh, like doing this, being able to jump on a video conference using the collaborative tools that we have at our disposal uh, is amazing, right? And so being able to sit down with three of the thought leaders who are around the country and as, as leaders and organizations, as people who lead others, um, continue to impress upon our teams, especially younger people, right? Uh, that this can't be the only way. This absolutely helps. Uh, this drives down cost. Collaboration tools drive down cost. It you know helps with bettering the, the world in general. We're not flying around the country to have conversations, but all that to be said is that I hope you guys would agree that there is a ton of value that can be derived when we physically get people together. Um, and even if that's just for a day, whatever that is, we have to be able to, to balance uh, the technology and the collaboration tools like this with physically bringing people together, assuming we have the, the capacity to do so. I think that's something that can be very easily overlooked is, is my point because the technology yeah. Point, can, can, can make it very easy to collaborate, right? Um, but getting together in person is something that cannot be overlooked. Right. So, so, so it's get back, it gets back to your A, B, C, D, always be connecting the dots, whether it's with technology or face-to-face, because -face, it's funny, I yeah. sent a text message to meet somebody, and the first thing I asked him is, should we be at your office or should we do a phone call, assuming yeah. that like phone calls are more convenient. Um, but there's a lot to say for face-to-face. -face. So when you think about it, if you're talking about empathy, if you take, if you have, an, if you use empathy as a metric for your mission, but then always for your tactics, always be connecting the dots. Then, no matter where you're going in the world, you're going to be potentially going somewhere. These are a set of tools, almost as I'm coming here. You say this is almost like a toolbox of tools. 
and a framework to keep you advancing. Yeah, that's right. I mean, like all things, I mean, if it's if it's your own mental model and framework for a, a tool in the toolbox, how do you pull these things together? And for me, it's a, you know, uh, part of my toolbox is the, my own network and the, the, the people I have met over the years, clients, people like yourselves who I've had some interaction with. Uh, and then there's the people, you know, uh, there's those people and then who, who knows who and who knows what and then who has the knowledge. Uh, another tool in my toolbox is that I'm very, I'm very thoughtful uh, about remaining, uh, remaining mindful of what everybody knows. So it's like, ah, Phil, we had a really good conversation last week uh, about empathy and tech. And I know you didn't agree with me on something, but I think you might want to know somebody else. So the piece of my toolbox, um, and I wouldn't say going out of my way, but I make it a very active part of my day <laughs> is to make different people connect together who otherwise wouldn't be connected. And that served me very well. Uh, not because I want something in return. I really don't. Um, I really enjoy that. I don't know about you guys. I really enjoy the opportunity to connect different people using tools that I have in my toolbox, which quite frankly are just being human. <laughs> right. I, I think I'm with you. I, I love that perspective because it was a couple of weeks ago I was talking to somebody and they literally said, and I'm probably not as big of a network node as you are, but they're like, hey, do you realize that you could like pay to connect people? I'm like, why would I do that? Yeah, that's a selfish <laughs> way. I, could, I can collect right. money. But my long-term investment, now I've seen this through my career, my career is definitely not as uh, as full as some of your guys' careers, is I've seen the long-term outcome from being a node in a network and not asking for short-term uh, short-term payment or you know short-term um, uh, re reciprocation, but it's been a long-term, like I don't expect anything, and all of a sudden, a year and a half later, I get a call from somebody, and like all of a sudden, I have this ability for my net worth to go up five times because I've been offered this opportunity. Um, yeah. you know, that's, that's a simple example, but there's other examples as that as well. So it's almost sounds like as it's going to ABCD, it's not just, um, how would, how would I, how would I couch this? It is a career. It's also a career, career planning. Move. Like you'll never know what your career is. And today's careers will change every three to five years. And so as always, as long as you're ABCD in, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's Did like we just a verb right there. We just created a new verb. I love it. You're ABCD in. <laughs> it's not, it's. I'm sorry, go Chris. No, it's just, you know, I, look, I, I love the idea of connection, right? And I never really, maybe really thought about it actually until I met Phil um, and some of the work that he does. But um, I, I do pick up on this idea that, and and I'm, I know we've sort of talked around it and, you know, Phil mentioned it brings out some of the, the baser nature of humanity when you're not face to face with someone. If I can say something anonymously via technology, I'm much more likely to do it than if I was in front of your face and had to say the same thing. But so less, less that, but like just this idea of like atomization, right? Driving people apart um, instead of bringing people together. Cause I think like the information superhighway was supposed to bring us together. Right. And it, in a lot of ways seems to have really driven us apart, you know, politics, certainly um, other, but many other things. And you know they, this whole idea behind Facebook uh, is a great idea, 15 years ago, right? Or you know whatever, 12 years ago, and yet <laughs> it seems to be just a cesspool of of inhumanity, right? So I, I don't, I, I'm I'm wondering like you know how do how do you fix that? Is that you know and maybe it, maybe it ties in with something you know Bill Bill Benson you mentioned earlier, you know. Are we naturally just, you know, empathetic? Are we are we bad? 
<laughs> just by design, and we oh, have to overcome I, it. I, I think there's a simple answer to that one, Chris. I mean, uh, uh, you know, you can call BS on this, but I think one of the things that happens there is, and this goes back to Larry's point that this is great, this is a good start, but what we really want to be is face-to-face. -face. Now, one might argue that here with big screens, we're kind of face-to-face, -face, but what we really want to be is face-to-face. And one of the reasons that all of these, that these technologies, you know, you talk about things like Facebook and Twitter certainly allow us to kind of get into these bad areas where people are not collaborating, right? There, it's high contention, right? There's lots of conflict. And it's because without face-to-face, -face, we miss the subtle cues that, you know what, what I'm saying, I mean, look, I'm talking, I can see Bill Bensing's head bouncing up and down and he's going, yeah, right on brother, he's with me, right? He's got what I'm talking about. But if I'm doing this on Facebook, I think sometimes I might believe that I'm talking to a room full of people who think just like me. And there's some cat who didn't get it. And maybe he would cock his head a little bit, but I can't see that on Facebook. And so what happens is they immediately go down some other place and say, you know, you're an idiot or a jerk or whatever. And this thing just goes to flame really quickly because we don't have these cues that we would take in real life. I mean, you know, I'd like to think I'm pretty good at this. If Larry didn't agree with me, I would see him gritting his teeth, right? I would see the see it right away. If he wasn't if he wasn't with me, I would know that he wasn't with me. And I would change my tone. I'd back off. We'd change the subject. We'd do something else. But in when I'm in a, a chat room or I'm off in Facebook or I'm off in Twitter, something like that. People say ugly things and they just pile on top. Let's start a fire. I have the same experiences with Twitter and Facebook, the same things you said. What I will say is that there are pockets. Uh, there are pockets using those specific tools, in this case, Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter, where I have actually found uh, communities, um, very specific communities who are very niche around, in this case, healthcare, um, who truly use the platform as a mechanism to share. I can't see their faces, but I actually, I know what they're saying. I know what they're feeling. Uh, ironically enough, it's, it's because of Twitter. So all I would say to that is, I agree with you. I think there are pockets and there are people out there who are building community um, using those platforms uh, to actually share, to share heart speak, to share empathy. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it's just, you have to be careful in that space, yeah. right? That's, the That's right. I That's have to right. use a lot more caution than I would have to use if I were face to face with you because the cues, the information travels so much faster when I'm looking you yeah. in the eye. That's right. That's right. It's funny you talk about that because you have the concept of emotional intelligence. And so, Phil, as I hear you talking, like the first thing that comes to my mind is emotional intelligence. So, what I hear you doing is you're assessing, like, the video we can sort of assess, like the example you had with me, I can assess, assess the emotional intelligence. Um, how is Bill emotionally feeling? You can put yourselves in my shoes, which is really interesting because from a human perspective, I saw this on Discovery Channel one time, they talk about your motor neurons and things and how we can, you know, that's how we have empathy as opposed to other types of animals. Yeah. Um, the mirror, mirror, no, is it mirror neurons? Mirror neurons, yeah. There we go, perfect, thanks for connecting me. I wasn't, there we go. My, uh, my short-term memory, long-term, whatever it is. Um, but it almost comes down, Chris, getting to your point, and Larry, what you're talking about is, is technology, is there a different type of approach for technology? Well, we use EI, and I think it's been called and named emotional intelligence and backed into how we, with mirror neurons, feel towards each other. Because we don't have that ability to do that over asynchronously over the wires, as you pointed out, Larry, is there a different type of um, almost filter that we have to apply? Because EI, our mirror neurons, is a filter that we've applied that's evolved with us. So is there something we have to put into our repertoire that's more um, intentional 
So when I think about Facebook and Chris, some of, some, some of the assessments you made about Facebook, well, mm -hmm. it, it sounds like it's all bad, but really you think about a lot of the good that's come through it. And then I think about a lie. So I go back to the election, right? And so a lie really takes two people, one telling the lie and the one to believe it. And so is there a new mechanism, almost like emotional intelligence, where it's a mechanism we use to assess each other that we'd have to start applying to our, um, to our online communications um, or maybe our non-face-to-face -face communications to bring empathy into it so we can understand how to put ourselves in either the other person's shoes or put them into our shoes. No, I, I, not to just to, to, to pile on or to answer it. I don't have an answer. I think what you're, you're articulating and what you're kind of pulling out of this conversation is that there is a need for uh, a solution or a different approach to using technology that's not face to or that that in that mirrors face to face. May not be video. Uh, maybe it's just via text, via the Twitters, the Facebooks of the world. Um, but begins to tease out when someone what someone's reaction actually is. That gets to the core. How are you actually feeling? Um, I think there's an amazing opportunity there. I can't say I've ever thought about it quite like that. But I, I think it's a great point. Is is that a role for um, you know? AI, right? As it as it grows more intelligent, with feedback from us and input from us, that it can begin to you know uh, read some of those subtle cues and perhaps dial up content or whatever that is uh, yeah. empathetically yeah. aligned with us. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, let's let's go there for a second. So I can't use a specific example because I don't I don't know the name of the company that does this, but. You know, the, the best example that I that I have heard of uh, is, you know, think about which, when you're chatting with a customer service representative at an airline or a technology company. Um, let's we, These technologies exist today where they can, we have technology that can detect inflection in voices and then notify, in this case, the customer service representative, like, hey, this person may be getting, but it no escalate to a manager, right? I have to believe the same technology exists over text, over text analytics, right? Um, let's use social sentiment analysis. We have this today in social media today where companies are using uh, sentiment technology to determine um, when someone says, uh, you know, this is, if I can curse on this, I don't know, that is the shit or he is the shit. There's two very different uh, <laughs> connotations there. This is shit. No, that's actually, that is the shit. Um, yeah. Normally I get he is a shit. So that's. He is a shit. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> That is, a, the technology exists, and Chris, I think to your point, um, yeah, let's let's begin to harvest the, the 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 text that we have, where it's not face to face, we can't see. Uh, I think there's some very interesting things that can be done there to to ascertain where someone's actually coming from and how they actually feel. I think it's an awesome idea. So, so I, uh, real uh, quick, I, I wanna because I know that we we've, we've been talking about this now for for a while, and I, I wanna. I want to kind of get to this idea of great. Um, you know, Larry's telling us that we need to be, you know, always be connecting the dots. We need to be, um, you know, thinking about trust and, you know, all of listening and engaging people and building that into our toolbox. So I guess the question would be, you know, if you're Joe Schmo out there in IT land somewhere, how? how do you do that right is that like you just you either are or you're not or is there are there things you can do skill wise and maybe phil maybe this is a question for you from a like a people and a connecting people perspective but you know how do i get this skill uh, i don't know anyone can talk to that yeah i mean i think it is practice right but we started out that maybe not everybody is wired for that to begin with and so part of that is practice and it might be if we're not having those social contacts now, you know, one of the things that I've suggest 
people do, and we've had this conversation with a bunch of folks over the last few weeks, is that we schedule time every week to have two conversations that can drive those connections forward. So we reach out to old friends and say, let's have lunch or let's have a cup of coffee and just say, where are you? I mean, it doesn't be, need to be, I need a thing. I'm looking for my next gig. I need a job. It can be, I just wanted to see where you are in the world and see what that looks like. And maybe there's some opportunity for us to do something more. I don't know. But I think just having, it's funny. I've, I've been in a room of some really high performing, uh, high performing service type professionals. And I said, what do you think that number is? And they all said, if I just had two conversations like that a week, it would change my business. I said, yeah, I think you're right about that too. But the thing is, we don't even think to do that, to have those two conversations. Let's just reach out and actively do that. I think that's a step. Yeah, I, 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 let me pile onto that one. I'll give you my two cents. And, and Bill, I'd love your thoughts on this too. Uh, you nailed it, Phil. It's, it's practice, right? I, I can't say that there's like, thou shall do these four things and you will become a better uh, technical humanist, right? Whatever that thing is. Uh, I say that, you know, if there's things that to practice, it's listening, right? And you're like, well, how do you practice listening? Well, it comes from what Phil said, having more engaging conversations. Oh, by the way, if you can have conversations that have nothing to do with work, where you're actually getting to know people on for who they are, uh, I think through that exercise and through the practice of listening, uh, I, I think that th thereafter, you'll become a, a better technologist, quite frankly. Not, not at a hardcore technical skills, but the softer side uh, of, of life is listening. So practice, uh, I'm with you 100% on that one, Phil. I like me going with this. Because um, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I have this, uh, this difference between developers and engineers and architects, right? When somebody says they're a developer, I think about, okay, I'm just gonna give you something that's already thought through, already validated, and you're just gonna codify it. And I think of an engineer, there's somebody that's like, it's not codified, but there's a problem out there that they can go solve. But then when I think of an architect, I think of an architect that doesn't know where the problem exists, they're out looking for a problem and they're out actively trying to build some type of framework or solution to get to a problem. So when you talk about intelligence, and I think about in, in that type of framework there and um, empathy, think about emotional intelligence and training people. And then you think about corporations and leadership, where does leadership's aspect come in? Because you're right, I think it's practice, but how do you, if you're just talking about reaching out and connecting people, how do you actively practice to become more empathetic? Because I'll agree with you this whole conversation. I think people have large degrees of empathy. Some are way more empathetic um, and some are less. Like I can think about my girlfriend. She's extremely empathetic. Me, given my coffee or not, I'm probably not empathetic. Um, <laughs> or maybe I, I, I am. I just don't want to put myself in somebody's shoes at that point in time because or whatnot is. But you think about training people up and what that does to an organization as well. As you guys were talking, Larry and Phil, as you were talking about this, I just got to think about an organization I used to run at a, a previous company, and I had people on all spectrums of empathy, but I saw people start very empathetic and go to very, being very non-empathetic, and I thought about the, the environmental factors that made them change. Then I just basically said, what if you actively, not managed, but led them, and said, okay, I want you to start putting yourself into somebody's shoes and describe to me after a conversation with somebody, what do you think they're thinking? And start almost building like this little, you know, I get up in the morning, they call you know, the whole concept of a kata, right? just doing some small um, practicing every morning to put yourself in shoes to build your emotional intelligence. And then I love how you said it as a technologist, because I think today the, the concept of a technologist is coming to be more defined, but it's that type of individual that has empathy that can then translate that into some kind of technology tactic to help at scale resolve some um, issue with the empathy. Right. 
And so as I tie that bag, like, you know, I think about, you know, tie, um, Fortune 5,000, uh, 5, like uh, leadership, and then down to an entrepreneur, like, it's 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 all connected and just got me thinking now like you just you just connected some dots for me thank you my for job that. is done here i'm out here. <laughs> yeah, let me, if I could, oh sorry phil go ahead yeah i'm done yeah so, so let me kind of build on that another idea you made me think about is you know so so what can we do maybe it's not a skill chris but it's something i i see a lot of with my clients with the the other entrepreneurs that i, that I work around and work with What's the one thing that's kind of we see a whole lot more of today? I think that empathy is a result of, and that's purpose business, uh, of delivering a product, the business of you know delivering a service. It doesn't take far to Google, look up purpose and look up organizations who are emphasizing purpose in the organization. So you can think about mission, vision, and why organizations exist. Why do we see as of late, you know, this this huge influx of of emphasizing purpose? Um, I think it's because all the things we're talking about here. Technology, I think, is quickly superseding or quickly uh, overshadowing why we all go to work. Why do we exist? And people begin to ask why. Personally, why do I go to work every day? Why does that organization exist? Um, I believe that when we ask ourselves what our purpose is, why do I exist? Why do I you know, go to work every day? Why does an organization exist? I think that becomes the um, a, a catalyst to have a conversation about why. And then why becomes Ah, I feel you. Uh, I hear you. I want to learn more about you. That becomes a catalyst for connection and a catalyst for empathy, potentially. Just one school of thought. Yeah, I mean, I like this idea because one of the things that I've always uh, disliked, right, is this idea of, you know, what, you know, when you start asking the questions, why, why? <laughs> and then you read on the internet, it's like, well, your passion, it's about your passion. Follow your passion, right? And I'm like, Look, I'm midlife. I still don't know what my passion is. And, and frankly, passion seems very self-centered to me, right? Like, it's my passion. Get out of my way, right? Whereas I think purpose is a, is a, is a different way of looking at kind of some of the same drivers, but it's an outward, like, you know, connecting kind of thing as opposed to a, you know, I'm going to pursue my passion, whatever that is. Yeah. But anyway, no, I think this is good stuff. Um, you know, I think... Larry, actually, can, let's talk about purpose for a second. So, I mean, look, we all do other things, right? So, for example, um, Bill Bensing was a an MMA fighter. Uh, you know, I don't know if we, I don't think we've ever mentioned that before, but you know, uh, what is it two two victories and no losses, something like that, whatever. Um, you know, Phil Yanoff is stop stop, stop early. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Phil fills out hiking, you know, every Saturday morning and uh, raises chickens, right? So there's like this kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I'm a history major with a liberal arts degree and have like no technical background whatsoever, but I've worked in IT my whole life. I mean, Larry, you can you can you take a second and think about purpose and talk about um, dynamic paddlers for a second? We're gonna go completely non-technical. Uh, you know, like what you guys are doing. If that's your martial arts or if that's getting out in nature. Uh, so you guys may not know. Uh, so one of my uh, passions, we'll talk about passion and gets into purpose. Uh, one of my passions has always been teaching and community building uh, and bringing people together, not to be cliche with connecting dots, right? But truly it's just to bring people together for a common purpose. Here we go with purpose. Um, so what I found uh, over the years, so Dynamic Paddlers is a kayaking school that I started five years ago now, um, kind of somewhat serendipitous, serendipitously. 
we work with uh, kids and adults of all abilities. Uh, so I really wasn't out seeking people with disabilities to teach them how to kayak uh, by any means. Uh, but I did meet a young kid who paddles with one arm as a lifelong kayaker. I was like, well, that's pretty amazing. Um, and I was a bit taken aback as an able-bodied paddler of how he's doing this and really got me curious in, you know, getting back into the community aspect of things. Who's doing this? Come to find out not many people were actually doing, like all of you, uh, said, I want to do something uh, and do something outside of work. And I started doing that. Uh, that is now taken on many different forms, but dynamic paddlers exist today uh, as one of the the only concierge kayaking schools in the country. And I've been teaching and building community around adaptive paddling for the past five years. And and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, and we can I'll take pause there. But, you know, many of those things, whether you're hiking or it's your whatever your outlet is, if you can bring that back into your day job, this has brought a lot of a lot of good feeling for me, but also a lot of uh a lot of things I've learned about patience and about listening and about working with different people and being adaptable into my day job. So uh, very quick elevator version of what I'm up to with dynamic paddlers, Chris. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's, that's the very definition, right. Of um, channeling, you know, sort of that, that purpose, right. Because, you know, people might say, and you know, I, I began this by saying we do things that are not related to our jobs, mm. but I think this entire conversation is about, you know that that um, we've called it empathy, but or the emotional intelligence, or the you know whatever whatever word we want to use that that purpose that is infused in who we are and is part of what we do at work, after work, at home, on the weekend, on the airplane, right? Those right. sorts of things. Um, so I, I mean I I think you know when I think about also you know where we are as in, you know, we, the, the workplace as it's changed, right, over the past decade, for sure. And, you know, uh, remote working, and we've talked about, you know, connecting with people through technology and picking up on cues and things like that. Um, you know, can you, can you take, I think you, you mentioned something, something about the future of work. Is there something that you could sort of give us uh, as, a, as a parting bit of wisdom on on where we think all of this is going and, and how these concepts of connecting the dots and and you know delivering value right and having purpose how that all wraps into sort of a future way of working yeah so uh i'll do my best uh if there is such an imparting thought i think uh this has been a good dialogue so first of all thank you guys for for sharing your perspectives uh i've learned a lot from you guys as well i appreciate that um you know i think in the right way of where you separate work and you separate work from life <laughs> i think the things we've talked about here and i get back to my own purpose uh i think that the future of work and purpose and the technology is that when it's really going to be magic when we can infuse the two things together uh, you know, and I'm not just stealing a Bezos thing, right? So Bezos talks about what uh, he calls, like, I don't have work-life balance. I have work-life integration. Uh, I've been talking about that for years, and it's awesome to see other leaders talk about that too, right? So I'm all in on work-life. I'm in the work day, the work morning, and then get right back at my next thing. Um, I think uh, that people who too, truly separate the two, um, and unfortunately, are going to get really frustrated really quick. Uh, and then you know the things that come after that. All I'm saying to you is that uh, if you can find ways to make your work and your life integrated, 
uh, into your day. Uh, I think you'll feel better about yourself. I think you'll feel better about those around you. I think people around you will see that. Uh, and we all move forward together. You can truly change the trajectory of work um, by just showing up uh, and integrating the two things together. That's my thought, Chris. I love it. I think that's fantastic. And that's a, a great place to sort of wrap it. So uh, Larry, really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, oh, thanks guys. Appreciate it. Um, obviously Bill Bensing, Phil Yanoff, and we're missing Shashi, but he's here in spirit. Um, yeah. I'm Chris Lockhart. Thank you everybody for watching and uh, we'll, we will see you on the next episode. Thanks guys. Have a good